Good morning, everybody. How are we today? Good morning. Good morning. Look at all these beautiful faces. Uh, <laughs> talking to you, Dave. I'm talking to you. Uh, um, so, uh, yesterday was an awesome day. Um, went out with uh, Tony and Jen. They took me and my wife out to Moab, and we went out in his big old Jimmy and his buddy's Jeep, and we hit this super awesome rock crawling trail, and it... It was a great day. Like, <laughs> it was funny. My wife even told me last night, she's like, when he first said the trail was like nine hours, I was like, dude, what did you sign me up for? <laughs> but as we went along and as she uh, just continued to uh, the, feel the new experiences and, and each new challenge we came to and continued to move along in that, she was like, man, it was awesome. I had a great time in, in, in the whole experience. And it got me thinking a little bit. Um, there would be times where we would come, we'd come around a corner and you could see a couple options and one is a five or six foot rock that's just a sheer face straight up and down and then you can see uh, this other route with some other like pretty challenging boulders or whatever and every time I was like, yeah, we're probably going to go that way, Tony would hit me with a curveball and we'd go like straight up the face of this rock that just wasn't even an option at first in my mind and so it got me thinking a little bit like... How many times does God leave us scratching our head like that? Where we think that um, we have it all figured out. We think we know what God has planned. We think we know what he's going to do. And then out of nowhere, man, there just comes that curveball. Uh, that curveball that was part of his plan and not so much part of ours. And so um, we can see it in our daily lives and the things we experience. And we can see it in his word. When we read and study his word, we can see... Uh, I see where this is going, or I see why this is doing this, and then more and more as we study and we become in tune with the Holy Spirit, we're like, oh God, you weren't even doing that for why I thought you were doing it. And so um, I think today's passages that we're going to be reading can be one of those passages where we read it and we see what's happening and we think we can kind of understand what's going on, but in, in studying the Bible and becoming more in tune with God and His Word, I think he'll probably leave us scratching our heads at time to time going, wow, you are magnificent, God. I didn't even see it through that light. So um, before we jump into today's passages, which if you guys want to turn there will be Mark chapter 1. And contrary to Nick and Tony's popular belief that I give myself all of the short verses, we're only going through 9 through 11 today. But on that, there are three very loaded verses that I could probably stand up here for a month straight and preach on just these three verses. But I didn't give myself 12 like Nick was claiming last week. I heard you, bro. I was next door, but I heard you. I heard you. But, um, but before we jump into that, please join me in prayer. Uh, Father God, Lord, your word is magnificent. You are amazing. Your son is a beautiful picture of love, your spirit to guide us and, and, and correct us and help us to see the things the way you designed them is such a blessing, God. So we thank you for that. We thank you, Father, for you, for creation, for your grace, for your mercy. We thank your son for his servant heart, for his sacrifice. And we thank you for the work of the Holy Spirit as he continues day in and day out to shepherd us and to uh, um, guide us through life. So, Lord, I just pray that you would empty me of me right now, that you would fill me with your Holy Spirit and push myself aside, that I can do your work, and I ask that I can humbly do it some justice today, God, but, but not by my strength, 
by yours. Jesus, it's in your beautiful name we pray. Amen. Amen. Um, let's see if we got this working. Boom. We do. The baptism of Jesus. So that's going to be um, what we're reading about today. That's going to be today's verses. So we'll just jump right in and read them. Um, Mark, starting in uh, chapter 1, verse 9, going through 11. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. So initially in reading this passage, we, sh we should be able to see a number of what appear on the surface to be uh, paradoxes to us. They should kind of stand out and, and leave us asking, what? What is that? But I think some of those um, what appear or what we would think to be paradoxes would only stand out to us if we're a student of the Word, if we study God's Word, if we're regularly in our Bibles, if we're regularly drawing closer to Him and the person of Jesus by studying the Bible. So without doing that, if it's just a place you visit every once in a while, if it's um, just a, a book that collects dust on your shelf, if it's something that doesn't really get open, but when you come here, you hear some of these, um, what appear to be stories, you'll be like, oh, okay, the story of Jesus' baptism was pretty cool. But this isn't just another story. It doesn't contain any contradictions. It, in fact, is probably one of the most significant incidents in human histories. And as followers of Jesus, it's something that we should be familiar with and try and investigate and try and understand why this event happened. Um, so I'll do my best in um, the next 30 minutes to try and break down the text and, and see what it's saying here. But I tell you this, like in my... Um, finite effort. I can never probably, I can never do and reveal to you what God can do through you praying and reading and being tuned with the Holy Spirit and studying his word yourself. So I hope that um, this leads to you wanting to know more and wanting to dive deeper. Um, so let's start off with looking at um, Mark 1, 9. And it says, in those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan River. Um, and so last week, um, if you were here, um, you heard Nick talk about baptism and some of the different types of baptism. And if you weren't here, um, I suggest if you have Facebook, go back to our Facebook page and listen to that message. If you don't do the Facebook thing, um, all of the sermons are up now on um, some podcast apps, um, Apple, Google, Spotify, whatever your favorite one is, but go back and listen to his message and listen to the explanation and, and uh, the breakdown he gave of um, baptism. But for today's purpose and to get our minds and our hearts into the right place and into the right context, we're going <coughs> to, excuse me, we're going to revisit that a little bit. And so um, I don't ever want to refer to anything in um, knowing God or his word or studying uh, uh, the things of his kingdom to appear to be redundant to us because we're constantly learning. We're constantly retaining new information and, and gaining new things. So um, one of the types of baptism that we'll see is 
believer's baptism. And that's something that we would practice here at this church. And so uh, what a believer's baptism would be is um, the immersion of a believer into water in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And it's basically an act of obedience symbolizing our belief, our faith in a crucified, buried, and risen Savior. And it, it symbolizes our death to sin, the burial of the old life, and the raising up out of the water of the resurrection of the new life in Jesus. Um, it's more so of a testimony of his faith and the final results that received at the resurrection of him. There are other types of baptisms that we'll see that um, I just labeled it religious baptism. And this is um, guided more towards certain religions and their belief in what they say baptism looks like or means. And so um, some examples of religious baptism would be the LDS. The LDS church believes that baptism is an essential if a person is to receive salvation. It's them to return them to live with their heavenly father. People must be spiritually clean and worthy in order to live with God. And so they believe that through repentance and this act of baptism, that in that moment they are forgiven of their sins and they are made pure enough in that moment to live with the Lord. It's um, one of the steps that you must take to receive the Lord's salvation. The Catholic Church believes that it is through baptism that God enables them to participate in his life in Jesus Christ and makes them his children. They believe it is through this sacrament that they receive the Holy Spirit and become members of the people of God and the body of Christ, which is his church. Baptism becomes um, their commitment to grow in this new life and strive to this um, spiritual maturity. But by baptism, God is purifying them from their sin. Baptism is the sacrament of faith, which has the risen Christ as its source, but is also uh, an offer of salvation for all people. Um, in the Catholic religion, it's um, intimately linked to confirmation and to the Eucharist. Baptism, baptism I knew I was going to say this word a whole lot and get tongue twisted. Baptism is, with these other two sacraments, um, essentially an initiation into the Catholic Church. The child is baptized in the faith of their parent and their godparents and in the church, not in the faith of their own belief in Christ. Or, um, but So what we're seeing today um, in today's passage is neither a believer's baptism or a religious baptism that we see here. As Nick mentioned last week, um, John's baptism is a baptism of repentance. And so... Um, Rome, just throw up the Mark slide there for me, big buddy, because I don't have one there, and I didn't put a repentance baptism, but I don't want our minds... uh, Yeah, you can even leave that one. It's perfect. Um, And so, like I said, um, the baptism that we see Jesus partaking in, in this moment, baptized by John in the Jordan River, is a baptism of repentance. And um, let me see if I skipped over that part. So, though today the word baptism generally invokes um, thoughts of identifying with Christ's death, burial, and resurrection, baptism itself didn't begin 
with Christians. For years before Christ, the Jews had used baptism as a ritual cleansing um, to uh, a cleansing ceremony to cleanse uh, Gentile proselytes. And then John the Baptist, he took baptism and applied it to the Jews themselves. It wasn't just the Gentiles who needed cleaning, but the Jews as well. Uh, Many believed John's message and were baptized by him. And we see that in, oh, that one don't pop up. Um, in Matthew 3, 5, and 6, it says the baptism John pre- performed had a specific purpose. In Matthew three eleven, John the Baptist mentions the purpose of his baptism. He says, I baptize you with water for repentance. Paul affirms the same things in Acts 19, verse 4. He says, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one coming after him that is in Jesus. John's baptism had to do with repentance. It was a symbolic representation of changing one's mind and walking away from who they were in their sin and going in a new direction. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River, and being baptized by John demonstrated a recognition of one's sin. So we no longer can play the ignorant card. You were baptized by John, you can, you can no longer go out there and walk along and act as if what you were doing was, was not wrong. You recognized your sin. It planted a seed of desire for a spiritual cleansing and a commitment to follow God's law in the anticipation of the coming Messiah. That's going to be loud in the microphone. Yeah, we're just going to go like this. (laughs) Um, So there were some out there like the Pharisees who came to the Jordan River to observe John's ministry, but they had no desire to step into the water themselves. And um, John rebuked them sternly in this. When he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to where he was baptizing them, he said to them, you brood of vipers. And he warned them, uh, flee from the coming wrath, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. So we see that there was a crowd there and there was different people. There were some people that showed up and there was no acknowledgement of their sin in their lives. And um, I don't want to state their Uh, um, reason for being there, but if you're there to watch a baptism of repentance of a bunch of sinners admitting their sin and you think you don't need it, there was probably some judgment there. We can see that verse here. um, said, but when we saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, you brood of vipers who warned to you to flee from the wrath to come. Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Um, so even the religious leaders of the time that were there needed to repent of their sin, although they saw no need of it themselves. And so now, this brings us back to where we at, brings us to where we are, and now we have Jesus stepping down from the banks, stepping into the water of the Jordan River to receive the baptism of repentance from John the Baptist. But wait a minute. The same Jesus that's described with passages like this, he committed no sin. 
neither was deceit found in his mouth. By the author of Hebrews, he's described, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who is in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. In 1 John, he's described as, you know, you know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. We can even see Jesus' description of himself. He said, and he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. We know that sin is not pleasing to God. So if he's referring to this, I always do the things that are pleasing to him, he is making the statement, for lack of better words, I am without sin. So here we have Jesus, the Jesus that was described as sinless, spotless, the only one to ever wear that jacket, so to speak, stepping into the Jordan River to receive a baptism of repentance. So this leads us to a question, a question that I hope when you're reading and studying your Bible, you're asking yourselves questions. Questions are arising, questions that come up that you want to know the answer to and that are leaving, leading you to dive deeper and try and figure this out. So we have re- Jesus, who's referred to over and over as the sinless one climbing down into the Jordan River to receive a baptism of repentance. Why? Why? I'll do my best to answer that at the end, but for now, let's go ahead and take a look at the other two verses, break them down a little bit, and hopefully if it made sense, it'll make sense to you guys like it made sense in my mind when we wrap it up at the end. And that's a coin flip there. Verse 10. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. Um, This passage is really pretty awesome in reading it. Um, It helps us to see that, um, if, if we look at it, that the entire Bible is really one cohesive story from beginning to end, about Jesus, no matter where we're looking at it. And if so, if we're saying from a beginning to end, let's kind of take a look at a passage from the very beginning. So let's read this again one more time, plant it in our mind. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and a spirit descending on him like a dove. I think some of the other translations say spirit hovering over him like a dove or um, a mix of those words there. But let's look at the very beginning. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was out form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And so we see here some similarities. The heavens being opened up, uh, the uh, Spirit coming down in the form of dove, um, hovering over Jesus. Where is Jesus? He's in the water of the Jordan River. Um, Here in the beginning in creation, the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Um, And if we take it and look at it a little deeper, the earth was without form. Darkness was over the face. Um, At the time and place where Jesus is uh, in, in that river receiving baptism, 
you can kind of say the, um, this darkness was again covering the earth. We know from later here in Genesis, they ate of the fruit, the cosmos were fractured, sin had entered the world. It was no longer the way God has designed it. This darkness of sin was once again covering the earth. But us, in knowing the whole story, knowing what God, that God did not intend to leave the world fractured, he did not intend to leave it that way, he did not intend to leave us with a way out. As we continue to look at it like that, we can see more and more similarities with this verse and the way out that was provided. And so when we um, fast forward a bit, oops, fast forward a bit to Matthew 27, um, 50 and 51, it says, And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. Um, kind of the opposite of what we've seen of the Spirit coming down in a dove, but this part. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn from two, from top to bottom, and the earth was shook and rocks were split. The curtain was torn in two. Sounds real similar to the heavens being torn open and then the Spirit descending on him like a dove. We can see in knowing, our, in knowing the word and reading the Bible that this message, no matter what's going on, where it's talking about, is talking about Jesus. It's leading us to Jesus. It's helping us to gain a deeper relationship of knowing Jesus. Um, in 111, like I said, the Spirit descended. Um, in this verse, a little bit of the opposite, but Jesus yielded his Spirit up um, in Mark, immediately, as I said, the heavens were torn open. In Matthew, the curtain was torn in two. Um, but let's move on and keep moving forward because these similarities, this central theme around Jesus doesn't end there. Um, now, back to today's verses, Mark chapter 1, verse 11. It says, And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son, with you I am well pleased. Um, first off, before we move on a little more, if, if any of you ever question uh, or, or are unsure about the Trinity, uh, I know there's debates out there that the word Trinity isn't even in the Bible, which is true, or if you're discussing um, uh, God and with someone from another religion and their religion doesn't believe in the Trinity, you can simply turn to these three verses. And see it right in front of your face. Jesus in the water. The Spirit descending from above. God the Father's voice audibly speaking. All in three verses. Not, um, not separate. Not three separate, um, not three separate beings. One being God at the moment, not the other ones. We can see God in all three of his equally powerful, equally holy, equally yet set three separate forms in these verses. God the Spirit, God the Son, God the Father, all present in this moment. And so if we go back to some of the similarities from beginning to end, this cohesive story of Jesus that we're reading, we can look back to Genesis and it says, and God said, let there be light and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. 
in this moment in Genesis, God spoke audibly. And God said, God didn't think, let there be light. God didn't think, it says, he tells us in his word, and God said, let there be light. Same thing at Jesus' baptism. He speaks audibly, this is my son with whom I am well pleased. These two situations, creation and his son accepting the role, accepting the plan that he had set before him. Both of these, we could see, were pleasing to him. And God saw that the light was good. Jesus, the light of the world, in the water, he said, This is my son with whom I am well pleased. He saw that it was good. Matthew 27, again, jump back towards his, to his crucifixion. Said when the centurion and those who were with him, keeping watch over Jesus, saw the earthquake and what took place, they were filled with awe and said, Truly, this was the Son of God. And so we have a centurion here. He is the one saying it, but he is again, there is this exclamation of who Jesus is. Truly, this was the Son of God. So, here it is, uh, God's exclamation of who Jesus is. But just like at Jordan River, we have a crowd of people gathered around the cross. And after this earth-shattering event, which I'm sure was similar with the heavens being torn open, the, uh, the Spirit descending like a dove, God's audible voice, we have the same exclamation after a same similar series of events. Truly, this was the Son of God. And so, as we were going, um, I, I asked the question, so we have Jesus, who's referred to over and over again as the sinless one, climbing down into the Jordan River to receive a baptism of repentance. Why? Um, by no means do I think I have an exhaustive answer to answer that, I, um, but I'm going to try and attempt to point out what I see are three very important reasons. I'm sure that um, my limited understanding of my limitless God will probably only scratch the sur surface of why God himself uh, um, orchestrated this event to take place. But that's okay. Like I said, my hope isn't to uh, um, be able to come up here today and give you every answer to every question that arises in the Bible. My hope is to come up here, spur some thoughts, get you scratching your head, and make you wonder, huh, I want to more, know more about this, to where you open your Bible and you investigate and you dive deeper into answering some of these questions. So um, the three reasons I'm going to point out why I think um, this happened would be to identify him, to consecrate him, and for him to be exalted. And so we'll look at these and, and we'll break each one of these down a little bit um, and see why this um, event in history, this event that God orchestrated had to happen, which involved the sinless one receiving a baptism of sin. When Jesus went down into the Jordan to be baptized, he didn't do so as an individual. He went in as a representative. Knowing himself to be the sin bearer, he places himself amongst the sinners. 
in his baptism, he's expressing his solidarity with the sinners. That would be like any one of you guys in this room. And this is, this is a, a, a metaphor or an example where I can try to paint the picture of, of what we see him doing here. But any one of you guys here in this room, for one reason or another, you guys are extremely discriminated against or, or uh, are persecuted for some, some way or another. And it might be some type of discrimination that I have never experienced in my whole life. But I see you, guilty or not, um, whatever it is, I see this discrimination going on. And as a show of support, as a show of solidarity, I come and take my place beside you. This is what you're going through. I see this. I've never experienced this. But come here. Let me put my arm around you. We'll go through this together. Jesus, being sinless, being a representative, stepping into the water as the sinless one, is showing his solidarity amongst sinners. At Calvary, on the cross, he's a substitute for sinners. He steps down from his throne in heaven to be one with sinners in baptism. In his baptism, he stoops down to be one with us, and we as sinners, when we are baptized, we rise up to express being amongst those who were pulled up by our hand by the only one who could save us. Being pulled out by the redeeming love of Jesus Christ and God the Father. Christ, in this moment, is unlike any other religious figure that you will ever see. He did not keep himself separated as a deity. He did not pull himself away, segregate himself from the sinners. He joins us, the sinners, on the banks of the river. I know why I was there. You probably know why you was there. We know he had no reason to be there, but he joined us anyway. Us knowing the story of Jesus, knowing his perfect life, would ask, I don't get it. Why was he in the line? Because he has made himself one with the sinner. He was rejected by his own, but gave a chance at everlasting love, everlasting life through love to sinners like you and me. The act of identification, of being identified in this moment is twofold. Yes, he is clearly identified as the Son of God. As the, uh, God makes that exclamation at the end, he is clearly identified at the, as the Son of God, but he fully identifies as his role as the one who takes on the sins of the world. I can't express this enough. There is no better place to take the sins that you are carrying around with you that are weighing you down, that are, that are keeping you at arm's length from important relationships in your life and in with God, than to take them to the one who identified with you by stepping down into the water. The one who can identify what you're going through, 
and the one that loved you enough to join you as an act of solidarity in this moment. The second reason, consecration, or to, to consecrate him, which is simply means to, to make or declare something sacred in that moment, to dedicate it formally to a religious or divine purpose. It's one of those churchy words that you hear sometimes, but simply meaning to declare something sacred. So in this moment, we have Jesus the man stepping down into the river for baptism, but not to just remain the man. In his, baptism, in his baptism, Jesus consecrates himself to the Father's plan, understanding that the Father's plan is indeed holy, is indeed important, indeed has a purpose, a plan that goes back to the reaches of eternity, a plan that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, each accepting their role that they will play in the redeeming of mankind. Jesus understands that it's his vocation to be the servant who suffers. He understands that it's his job to be well-pleasing to God. He understands that it's his vocation to take our place on the cross. Jesus confirms all of this at, in the act of consecration in the beginning of his prayer in John 17. He says, When Jesus had spoke these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. And then right here, I, am glo I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. He acknowledges that God gave him a job, a task, a role to complete. And in this moment, in the, the heavens being opened up, the, the spirit coming down like a dove, he is consecrating that plan with God and making it holy in accomplishing the work that he gave him to do. So, here in this moment, we clearly see the coexisting attributes of God being just and knowing that uh, uh, um, a, a law was broken, knowing that a punishment had to be paid, and we also see the coexisting attribute of God being merciful and showing us a way out. As sinners, we know that we shouldn't, we shouldn't have been let off the hook. If, if we can look at ourselves in the mirror and say, what I did wasn't that bad. I should be let off the hook. There shouldn't have had to have been bloodshed for that. We probably do not fully grasp and understand the word sin or uh, um, what our Bible is telling us. So as sinners, we know that. We know we shouldn't have been let off the hook. We know that a price far beyond our, uh, our reach had to be paid. And we also see that in his son, Jesus Christ, the provision was provided for that sin that you and I committed and for that offense that needed to be reconciled. The third reason that I listed up there was to exalt him. In his act of identifying himself amongst the sinners, he stooped down to our level but that isn't where he was meant to remain. 
in his crucifixion, God the Father looks down and says, that's my boy. You've done good. You've done what I ask. Now get up here and join me. Be seated at your throne. It was a plan that, that came together just like only a great creator of our universe could, could plan out and could map out. It was a plan that was formed before the earth was formed. It was a plan that the Father provided, that the Son procured, and that the Spirit applied. In his baptism, the Father also looked down and witnessed Jesus' act of solidarity with you and I. And seeing it, he was so pleased. He ripped open the heavens. He sent down the Spirit to cover his Son, and he exalted his Son with the booming words from above, saying, this is my son with whom I am well pleased. Let's pray. Father God, as we, as we close our eyes and we look back at the things that we have done in our life, and we look back at the things that we've done this morning, when we think of the things that are probably going to happen this afternoon, I hope we see pain. I hope we see the anguish that our sin causes you. And I hope we see that by understanding the love that you have for us. And if you're here today and we're having some, uh, some problems, understanding, saying, how could God love a sinner like me? How could God love me for what I've done? How could God love any of us if, there was, if blood had to be spilled, if there was a price that needed to be paid? Help, them take, help us take our gaze and our focus off of us in that moment and shift it to Jesus. And see the love in him. See the love in the role that he willingly took on to redeem me and you. Jesus, we thank you for being the sin bearer. We thank you for not keeping yourself separate from us, but stepping in to the water of the Jordan with us, with the lowly sinners that we are, coming alongside of us, and not just taking our hand, but taking our place. We're here today because of you. I say these things out of love for you, and it is in your beautiful name that we pray. Amen. Jesus laid down his life for us. He granted us a gift, a gift of sacrifice to cleanse us of our sins. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. But here's the thing about a gift. You don't have to take it. You don't have to accept it. In fact, 
millions of people around the world every day deny the gift that was the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. I know I'm not the only one who's ever received a gift and turned around and given it to somebody else or just flat out discarded it. And think about, too, a day you worked in your yard during the summer. It was hot. You got dirt under your fingernails. You're filthy. You're exhausted. And you get in the shower and you just bow your head. And you sit there and just let the water run over you for a minute. Because it's just too much to even start cleaning. Well, I ask today as you take communion that you sit in the shower that was the sacrifice given of the blood. And you let that enter your heart. And you let it enter every little dark area. And flush out and 